Hey everybody, Dr. Jared Rogers here coming to you from Hello Truth Podcast in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm with my friend Rachel today. Hello. And uh, she is going to come on and share her story of addiction. So we are going to start off with, um, tell us how you have been surrounded by addiction for quite a while now. Um, so I grew up pretty much with um, a mom who was an addict and probably um, really started to get bad around my teenage years, around 15 is when I really started to notice. And um, also having a brother who was a severe alcoholic and cocaine user, um, that was always around me. And even just outside of that immediate family, um, always had cousins and other family members who heroin, meth, um, alcohol. So it was just kind of something that was always around me. If it wasn't this person, it was this person. Um, so, but mostly, mostly my mom and my brother were the big ones in my life that I grew up around and that I had to deal with most of the time and deal with their, um, getting in trouble and, and overdosing. And I was kind of always the one dealing with it all. Yeah. That's a, that's a stressful life. Yeah. Very stressful. So let's, um, we'll start, if you don't mind, let's start with your brother. Okay. Um, kind of tell me the process. Um, well, my brother, he really probably started drinking at a young age. I mean, I would say 12, 13. And he, you know, at first was just, he was always like the wild child, always the one in and out of trouble, in and out of jail. He was kind of just one of those people who um, <laughs> live life on the edge, literally. And... um as he got older, um, it just became more and more of something he had to always be doing. And he didn't, you know, take it easy. He he never knew his limits. And um, he probably, I think he got his first DUI when he was 17 years old. I think he, probably before he was 20 totaled one of my dad's wrecker trucks um, and took out a median on Briley Parkway. Um, but he was in and out of jail for DUIs for years. And then probably when he was about 31, he decided that he wanted to get a motorcycle and he wanted to join um, a motorcycle club. And the moment that he bought that motorcycle, I knew just deep in my heart that it was not a good thing. And when it was 2015, so it's been almost seven years, um, I was woken up to the news that he had gotten in a motorcycle accident and passed away. Um, there was a lot of other factors. We never really got the full story of what happened. And it really didn't get investigated too much because of his alcohol being three times the legal limit and him having a large amount of cocaine in his system. So it was one of those incidents where they're like, this is what happened. Exactly. We know exactly how it happened. Yeah, exactly. Um, they just looked at it as he was drunk and he was probably driving too fast. So, um, you know, I've I've never really made peace with that because I'm still mad about it because we've never, you know, gotten the full story. The the friend that was with him left him. And, um, so we never really got the full story of what happened, but, um, 
you know, one thing that I look at is, you know, if there was any way that my brother was going to go out, that was the way, you know, doing what he loved. And, um, but, you know, it's one of those things where sometimes on a Sunday night, he would come spend the night, we would watch movies, you know, and it's one of those things where you go, oh, well, if I just called him that night and, and been like, hey, come over, let's watch a movie, you know, maybe it wouldn't have happened. Um, so I still, you know, thinking about it, get pretty angry about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I kind of had a feeling always that my brother wasn't going to live a very long life. Yeah. And he was, there was just the two of you, correct? We have a sister. Um, she didn't grow up with us. Um, I didn't meet her until I was nine and my brother was 12. Gotcha. Um, so she's a half sister, but we never thought of her as a half sister. She's, you know, she's our sister, but, um, it was just me and me and my brother until then. Um, so, and we were very close, um, you know, he was kind of my, my protector and I was kind of his keeper. So that was always, you know, our relationship. So, um, you know, it's still tough even almost seven years later and even never getting really the full story of what happened, you know, it still is unsettling and I still, you know, just haven't really found any peace with his death. So where are you at every week? Is it one of those situations where I know you think about it every day? Absolutely. But every Sunday you're just, I mean, that was y'all's day. Yeah, that was our day. And that was, that was kind of the day where, you know, he didn't go out. He didn't party. You know, it was like kind of like a party all weekend and Sunday, you know, you take it easy. And we both were kind of going through breakups at the time too. So um, you know, if, if he was going through something, you know, that's what he would do. Come sleep on my couch, watch movies. And at the time this happened, I was going through a breakup. So, you know, I would call him, you know, please come stay the night, watch a movie with me. You know, we were just there for each other, like both grow, going through our stuff. And was your mom an active user at this time? Yes. How much do you contribute that that what she was doing to being like an environmental factor for your brother? Um, really, they were, they were kind of like two peas in a pod. Um, they were a lot alike and, you know, she, she, um, wasn't on the hard stuff quite yet until he passed away. Um, and I think that they helped each other a lot. You know, I think maybe with, with pills and stuff like that, I think that they would cover for each other. You know, they would, they would steal money for my dad and kind of cover for each other. Oh, we'll do this, you know, and we'll, we'll share it or, or, you know, whatever. But, um, yeah, they were, they were a lot alike and in good ways too, because they were both so wonderful. They were both such wonderful people, um, but yeah, I think they were they were kind of partners in crime. All right, so take me to where you were and how it how you heard the news and the moment your brother passed away. I was actually asleep um with my ex-boyfriend, my my child's father, and it was about six o'clock in the morning and my mom or dad had tried to call me first. Um, well, then they ended up calling Jimmy. Um, and so I was woken up by by my child's father. And all he said was, Rachel, your brother's dead. And I, I kind of sat up and, you know, it took me a minute to process it, of course. Um And it wasn't a surprise. I mean, it, you know, of course, you're woken up to that news and, you know, you are surprised, but you're not. 
you know, it, it didn't surprise me in the manner that he died. Um, but I think, I think that I was just in shock for a really long time. I don't ever really remember when it hit me and when it felt real, I guess maybe the funeral. Um, but it still, even now, like seems surreal. And what what was the date? June fifteenth, two thousand fifteen. Okay, so two thousand fifteen, and that altered your life, obviously. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And then we scroll forward a little bit, and now your mom has become heavier on. Yeah, so she's pretty much, um, you know, now since he died, going to snorting heroin and Roxy's. Um, before that, you know, it was Laura Tabs, Adderall, Xanax. And when my brother died, um, I just think a part of her died and she really didn't care anymore. What kept you from using? Them. Um, I never wanted to, you know, be doing something that made me that out of control. You know, I didn't want to get arrested. I didn't want to go to jail. Um, I didn't want to steal from my family. Um, I just always looked at it as, you know, I can be like these people and, knowing that I probably have this addiction gene, I felt like I knew better than to ever even try anything or experiment with anything because it all runs deep on both sides of my family. And, you know, so the only thing I ever really did was smoke pot and drink. Um, But I knew that I didn't want to be like that. I knew that I wanted to be different and I wanted to, you know, have a life where I didn't depend on something like that that could ruin my life and that could kill me. Now, what about your father? Uh, My father is um, a drinker and... You know, there have definitely been times where you could say he was a functioning alcoholic. I mean, he ran a business for 43 years. And during the time that my mom was using, um, there were definitely a, a lot of nights where he would come home and fall or, you know, have pee running down his leg. I mean, there were definitely some... Sometimes where his drinking was out of control. Um, So I wouldn't say he was, you know, a full-blown alcoholic. You know, he didn't drink at home. He didn't wake up drinking. He was was more of a social drinker, but definitely, um, I think, with the stress of my mom, definitely numerous times, you know, came home just, you know, fell asleep in his truck in the driveway, you know, tripped over something and fell. And he's, you know, older. I mean, he's, he's getting close to 70. Yeah. So, um, but since actually, since my mom's been gone, he actually doesn't drink as much. Um, he doesn't go anywhere as much. And I think that's one, I think it's depression Um, and two, I think it's maybe there's not as much stress there. I was going to ask you. So it's kind of a. Yeah. I was going to ask you, what was it like for him coping? Um, I think that, I mean, he, he just, you know, he lost the love of his life. They were together for 45 years and as much as she put him through, um, with, with, you know, what what all she took from him in order to feed her addiction. Um, he would never, 
he would never leave her side. Mm. Um, so he, you know, definitely it's a depression, but then there's also a feeling of almost relief. Like, well, I don't have to hide my wallet anymore. I don't have to hide my car keys. You know, I don't have to, like for me, you know, I'm prescribed Xanax for anxiety and I would have to sleep with it under my pillow. Um, so it's kind of, it's kind of a, you, of course you're hurt. Of course you, you miss that person, but you also don't have to, you know, hide your stuff in your own house and worry about if it's going to be there when you wake up. Has your anxiety changed at all? And because, and I don't mean this rudely, but with everything you had to deal with on a moment to moment basis, has your anxiety had any relief whatsoever? Um, no, no. I mean, it's always there and I have good days and bad days, you know, like today, um, even being kind of, you know, emotional today, um, my anxiety is like relaxed today. Um, so no, I mean, and you have a lot going on today. I do have a lot going on today. Um, I know we'll talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, let's go, uh, let's go into more toward when your mom started getting more heavy and heavy on the addiction and how, what, how it started altering her behavior. Um, well, so in the, in the six years after my brother died, um, you know, at first, at first we, you know, it, it was obvious that she was doing something, you know, but it wasn't really until I started noticing her, you know, nodding off that I was like, okay, like this is something more than, you know, any pills or anything like that. No, um, when you say nodding off, what, you just, just like falling asleep? Completely? Yeah, just head down, just nodding out. You know, like you, like, like, you know, a lot of heroin users do. Um, I mean, we would be sitting there, you know, we had numerous shows that we, you know, love to watch together and, you know, we would just be sitting there and I would just look over and, you know, her head's going down and eyes are closing. And that's kind of when I knew that this was something worse and something that we hadn't dealt with. And, um... Then in the in the couple years, um, the last couple years, there were a couple of times where, you know, I would find, like, in her car, it was just, like, straws, you know, just straws that were cut, you know, short. Um, and there were a few times where I would even, you know, snoop through her purse and I would actually find heroin. Um, a lot of the times she didn't bring it in the house. It was more of a thing she would do like in her car before she came in. Um, so it was never really something that, you know, I caught her in a room doing it or anything like that. She, she never brought it in the house. Um, and then in the year before she died, um, she actually overdosed twice. And both of those times it was actually me that dealt with it. Um, the first time she was at a friend's house who was not so much a friend, but someone who used her for money, you know, you know, knew that my dad had money and someone that would get them, you know, both stuff if she had the money for it. Um, but I ended up having to go over there because my mom had been gone for hours and it wasn't like her to do that and not be home in time for the bachelor. Um, so me and my aunt actually drove over there after this woman told us that my mom was asleep, you know, and we thought that was very weird. Um, so we, we drove over and, you know, my mom wasn't asleep. She was, you know, laying in the floor overdosed and, um, so at that point, you know, her going to the hospital and everything, um, we were, we were told that it was Kalanapins. Um, that's, that's 
What is that? That's like a, it's a benzo. It's like a Xanax, um, you know, something for, that you can take for anxiety, but a, um, narcotic. Um, so, I mean, if you took enough of it, you could definitely overdose on it, you know, just like if you took too much Xanax. Um, so that was the first time. And, um, you know, there was another time after that, shortly after that, that she was going to visit my aunt and my aunt called me and said, you know, she was fine when she got here. And all of a sudden she just, you know, she can't even hold her head up. She can't even, you know, keep her eyes open. Um, so that time I went over and, and picked her up and went through her purse and found the heroin and found the straw. And, um, and then about nine days before she died, she, it was me and my child home on a Friday night. And, um, she had gotten home and something, I I went to get some water and something just told me to peek in on her in, in her bedroom. And I did. And she was just you know, passed out. She had a cigarette in one hand. She had a drink in the other that were both just, you know, drink thrown backwards, completely spilled. And I started yelling her name, yelling her name. Um, you know, couldn't really get a response out of her. And so, you know, of course I, I called 911. I said, I think my mom is overdosed. Um, you know, wish at that time I'd, I would have had Narcan in the house. You know, now now most addicts, you know, have it around. Um, and then I, I called my dad, um, who was, you know, out. And um, when we picked her up that night, so this was 2020, this was during COVID. So you couldn't go in the hospital with them. You know, it was basically like a you had to wait type of thing. And when she got released that night, you know, it said on the paperwork heroin overdose. And so that's when it was confirmed for my dad. I think my dad was kind of always naive to it. You know, he didn't really believe that it could be heroin. Um, and so, you know, at that point I was like, we've got to do something, you know, and I actually reached out to Lynn at that time. And got advice from her of, you know, some good places to go. Yeah. I actually had reached out to her and and said, you know, I've got to do something with my mom. And she, you know, gave me a couple of places to try. And, you know, the thing with my dad is he's, he's kind of old school. So he doesn't believe in rehab. He doesn't believe in, you know, halfway houses or meetings. He thinks if you want to quit something, you should just be able to quit something. He just doesn't understand. Everything's a choice generation. Absolutely. Um, so he thought that he could just, you know, babysit her and watch her. And so, you know, this going through this, you know, it's like my mom is, you know, severely withdrawing and detoxing from heroin and she already had heart problems. She had high blood pressure. Um, we found out at her emergency room visit that she had heart disease and they had given her a medicine for that. Um, and they had also prescribed her blood pressure medicine and Narcan. And, um, for some reason or another, she never, she, she took that paperwork for that medicine and she shoved it in her, her bedside drawer, you know, not telling us, Hey, you know, I need this medicine. And so, Um, nine days after that overdose, you know, I mean, she just laid in bed every day, you know, I'm sure she was feeling like hell. Um, but nine days from that would be, oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure she probably felt like she was dying at that moment. But, um, nine days after that overdose, um, my dad yelled for me to help him and I went in my parents' bedroom and my mom was on the floor face down. And he, he said, she just fell off the bed. I don't know, you know, I don't know if she's breathing. And, 
I mean, we called 911 and, you know, they, they came, they tried to revive her for probably 45 minutes, which is way longer than they, you know, usually would, you know, try, but, um, she was just gone. And I guess she, um, she had a heart attack and had, um, heart disease. And so, um, it's okay. Um, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if I'm wanting to hope that, you know, she was asleep, Mm. you know, I'm, I'm hoping that she didn't wake up and, you know, try to maybe get my dad's attention and, you know, but she, I guess kind of how she slept on the side of the bed, you know, she had a heart attack and she kind of rolled off the bed. Um, and, and she had a prosthetic leg also. Yes. So that was a result of her drug use was losing a leg. Um, and when she rolled off of the bed, she actually hit her face on her prosthetic. So she had like a cut on her face. Um, and we weren't sure at first, you know, but, um, so, you know, that, that happened. Um, and so now it's been July will be two years since we lost her. June will be seven years since we lost my brother. So now it's just me and my dad and my son. Um, you know, and, and then of course, you know, I can't go without saying how six weeks before my mom, you know, we lost Polly, one of our, you know, favorite people at work. Um, so it was a lot in a, in a short amount of time. That was the same year. Yeah. Same year. Yeah. Six weeks earlier. I remember Amanda breaking down cause, um, she and Polly had been speaking Mm -hmm. and, uh, Polly wanted to come over and talk to me about everything. So it was, it was, uh, that was very emotional for Amanda as well. And I know you guys were friends and Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody loved Polly. She had, you know, she was like sunshine. (laughs) Um, but you know, so that was a lot because it it was the same as with my mom, you know, so it was a lot within a small amount of time. I'm very sorry. I know, I know, um, those days they'll relive every, every year. It's just just like a memory just slapping you in the face. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about Michael now. Okay. Um, you are in a relationship with an active user. Yes. And that's, that's gotta be like all over the place emotional for you. It is. I mean, it's, it's absolutely triggering for me. Um, I can't believe sometimes that um, I'm I'm in a relationship with an active user, um, but he's someone that I've known since I was a kid, and he's someone that I have loved since I was about 14 years old. Um, you know, he was he was one of the first boys that I had any experiences with, um, and throughout the years since we were 14 years old, you know, so. Over 20 years later, I mean, we kept in touch off and on, Um, you know, in between relationships, we would see each other. You know, if I broke up with someone, Michael was the first person I called, Um, you know, and so we always had that, you know, love for each other and always kind of found each other in between other relationships. And so you know, finally getting back in touch about six months ago and, you know, it kind of seeming like, well, you know, we're both single and we're older, you know, we're both kind of ready to like settle down and like, let's give this an actual shot. And he is addicted to heroin and he, um, you know, shoots it up and, So it's been like a rough six months. I mean, um, I love him, you know, with all my heart and all I want is for, 
you know, him to, you know, be clean so that we can build a future together. And, um, you know, but something that I've had to learn is that you can't like love someone into being sober. It doesn't really matter, you know, how much you love them. You cannot love someone into being sober. That is the unfortunate truth right there. Absolutely. Um, and these are, these are things that would never be shown, but I've seen video yeah. of him yeah. using, and it is, it's quite a frightening sight. Yeah. And, um, come, you know, we've kind of come to find out and I think even kind of, he realized it was when he acts like that, you know, when he has that behavior, um, that's when he's gotten some fentanyl in his heroin. And, you know, he has a pretty high tolerance. And I think when he has those kind of episodes, um, he's either done too much or he's gotten some fentanyl in there. Um, I've seen him, you know, unfortunately know that it's not, you know, um, pressed with fentanyl. And as bad as it is to say it, you know, I can tell a difference because um, when it's just pure heroin, it's almost like he's normal. And I hate to say that it's, you know, of a course, functioning user. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's not normal, you know, but for him, you know, it's like he, he's just a normal person at that point, you but, know, I mean, but you know, the difference at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, if so, so I can tell, you know, I've, and I've learned to, you know, I know all of his tales now. You know, I know all of his, all of his secrets now. I know all of his, um, you know, oh, I need to go use the, the bathroom. You know, well, I know what that means. Yeah. You know, and I think he's kind of become, you know, more honest with me about it. You know, he doesn't try to hide it so much. I mean, he'll tell me now, like, I'm sick. I need something, you know, instead of trying to hide it. Um, but, you know, it's definitely one of those things where, you know, it's easy for, you know, friends and and family and stuff to say, you know, you just need to walk away from this. He's never going to get better. Um, but you know, you, I think, I think one of my issues is that I've always had a complex where I feel like I can save someone or I can fix someone. Um, and then I think I look back on people like, my mom or Polly, um, and, and think like, why didn't I do more? No. You know, why did I just sit by and watch it happen or let it happen? And I've kind of just always been like that though. I've kind of always felt like I could fix people or I could save people. And, you know, I've been by his side and, you know, been, supporting him and just trying to let him know that he is worthy of sobriety. Like he deserves it. He's worthy. And, you know, you wish that you wish that sometimes like people could see themselves through your eyes. Yeah. Um, you know, for someone who has so much like shame and guilt, you know, and feels like he's messed up his life and, and he's not, you know, deserving of sobriety and of a good life. Like I look at him and I see this like beautiful, um, sweet, like generous, caring man that, you know, is such a gentleman to me, you know, high or not. Um, I've probably never had someone treat me like such a princess you know, I mean, this man won't let me open a car door. This man will not let me carry a bag. You know, if my back hurts, he's, he's instantly like, what can I do to help? Do you, you know, let me, let me spray your back with this, this hot, cold stuff. You know, he's just, he is the sweetest man and he like cares so much for people. And he's always shown up for me when I've needed him. You know, I didn't see him for years and when my brother died, he was there. Hadn't seen him, you know, and I don't know how long, and he was there. 
So that that's a serious question that people who have been around users and we ask ourselves a lot, you know, when is the time where the person that we love so much, that side of them, you know, when is it going to be, you know, just taken over by the person that we don't want, you know, or when do we, when do we have to finally say enough is enough for the person we love because of the person that is taking over? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I wish that, I wish that I had an answer for that. Um, and I think because I always see those glimpses of who he really is, like I know that he's still in there. No. Um, and I just, I don't give up hope. Like I, you know, feel like I, I won't give up on him because I know that he doesn't want to be this person. I know that he... He doesn't, you know, it's not even fun for him to use anymore. You know, it's more of like survival. It's more of like maintenance well, so that point, he's not he sick. He just quit. No. If he just cold turkey quits, that's more dangerous than actually using sometimes. Absolutely. So when do you, um, how do you, when he, when he's using, how does that affect if he shows up and your son's at your house and how does that work? Um, well, he, he doesn't come to my house. Um, and I don't, you know, I, I mostly spend time with him. Like when my son's at his father's, you know, so I'm, I'm not, um, bringing those two worlds together. I mean, my son has met him. Um, and he, he has been around him a few times, but only when I knew, that that he was sober and here's a question i've been wanting to ask you since you and i started talking about doing all this how much of you being with michael is because of everything you've gone through with your mother and your brother how much of you wants to save michael because of that loss um i mean a lot of it is that a lot of the reason you uh, be on Straight honestly here, is that a lot of the reason that you're willing to be a part of a relationship with an active user? Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely think that's a big part of it. I mean, I definitely, you know, have always kind of like just waited um, to finally like be with him. And it, you know, it's kind of like you look at... I look and I'm like, oh, universe, like you just know how to mess with me. You know, like I, I finally get this boy that I've wanted since I was 14 years old and he's addicted to heroin, you know, like somebody's up there just laughing or something. But, um, no, I mean, it's a bit, it's a big part of it because I think, um, I just feel like what if, what if I am the one that can save him? You know, like what if just me being there and me putting together like a support system for him and me being someone who doesn't leave him. Like I'm, I'm sure other people have done, you know, who have probably been fed up. Um, you know, maybe, maybe that's the difference is somebody not giving up on him and, and somebody, you know, showing him that, you know, you're not a lost cause. Like this doesn't have to be your life you know, and, and so that part of me is like, I'm not going anywhere, you know, like, I don't want to give up on him, because I I just know that I can save him. I know that, you know, and of course, there's those times where I'm like, you can't save him, you know, like, you're one person, you can only help so much. He has to want this for himself, which I know, I know he has to want this for himself. Um, so I definitely get, you know, have those moments where I'm like, you know, you need to walk away. You know, you might end up loving him to death, you know, literally. Well, for those that don't know, Rachel and I are actually really, we're, we're, we're friends. We, we're good friends. We've been friends for a few guess, years. Yeah, it's been a couple a of years, years now. Yeah. So um, we're both nocturnal creatures. Yes. So just randomly, we'll 
you know, get a text from one another, you know, midnight, one, two, three in the morning, just yeah. whatever it is. And just, you know, uh, that text you, the video you sent me, I believe was at like two thirty three in the morning. Yeah. And cause we were supposed to do this podcast back the day after that. Yeah. We were supposed to do it about like, four other times. Jared, this is what I've been dealing with all night. And I'm like, sweetie, we can reschedule. And yeah. it was, um, but I guess my biggest question for you is when do you think it's going to be time to live your life for you? You've been dealing with this since you were 15 years old. Um, I don't know. Um, cause you know, you deserve it as well. Yeah. I mean, and, and I know, um, and I'm not trying to take you away from Michael. Don't get me wrong. I'm just, I'm just saying that is a stressful life. And I know from talking to you and texting how much of a toll it takes on you. Yeah. I mean, I already have, you know, sometimes crippling anxiety. So, um, you know, going through this, I mean, I've, I've really kind of neglected like my own mental health. You know, I, I was doing therapy like twice a month. I probably haven't done it in two months. Um, so to answer that question, um, hopefully, hopefully soon. I mean, hopefully I can, you know, either, you know, put myself first for once you know, or, you know, hopefully he will, um, you know, want the help and, and seek out that help. And, but, um, it's so hard for me to put myself first. It is. It's, it's, it's very difficult. It's really hard with an active user. Yeah. And I always correlate it with, uh, when you're on an airplane, they're giving you instructions. They say, before you put on your child's mask, put yours on first. Yeah. Because if you run out of air, then you both die, Mm -hmm. you know? So, it's one of those situations where if you're not good to yourself, you're not taking care of your mental, physical, just complete overall well-being, you're no good to anyone. Because yeah. at this point, you can barely stand yourself. You know, so I wanted to know that when when you thought it was going to be time for you. Yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't have a good answer for that. It it's just a a part of me that uh I don't know if it's like a, a gift in a, in a curse, you know, right. a blessing in a curse that I'm just one of these people, um, that, that takes care of everybody else before myself. Um, you know, I may, maybe this year will be the year. <laughs> I don't, well, I mean, I don't you can still I mean, help take care of Michael and yourself. Yeah. You know, it's just, uh, it's very difficult and, and I do understand, but, um, Another question I wanted to ask you is, uh, you were talking about your brother and your mom taking money from your dad. Does that ever happen between Michael and you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you obviously know. Yeah. I mean, at first, um, you know, it would be, you know, him getting on my phone while I was asleep and sending some money through Cash App or, or Venmo. Um, you know, that happened a few times. And... um. You know, then it would be, I remember, I remember at one point, um, you know, I, I helped him get a cell phone. Um, and I remember at one point when, um, he had tried to pawn it. I mean, I, I had bought him a, you know, it wasn't the, the newest version iPhone. It was an iPhone 11, but still, you know, it's a pretty new version, pretty new version. And, uh, you know, added him to my plan and, um, you know, within having it for a few weeks, um, he tried to pawn it. And fortunately, um, well, he did, he pawned it one time and, um, he had a friend, you know, that, that got it out for him when the 30 days was up. And, and he told me actually, before he did it, he said, you know, I hate to do this, but I, I just really need the money. And, you know, I said, I would rather you not do that. I said, but if you do that, do not look to me to get it out for you because I won't do it. And I didn't, um, you know, the, the 30 days went by and a friend of his the day before, you know, it would have, you know, been theirs, been the pawn shops. Um, a friend of his got it out for him and, and really kind of did it as a favor to me. 
Um, you know, and so I, I didn't give it back to him for a while. Um, when I finally did, um, he tried to do it one other time. And fortunately, one of the girls at the pawn shop, she knew us both, like grew up with us, went to the same school as him. And um, having his location on, you know, that was something he always had to have his location on. Um, And I noticed one day that, you know, all of a sudden it disappeared. And I just happened to catch him right then at the pawn shop. And um, I, I talked to the girl who we both knew. And she said, do you want me to cancel it? And I said, absolutely. Hold hold on to that thing for me and I'll come get it. You know, and, and he got caught. He knew he got caught. Um, so I kept it for a while, you know, and, um, you know, the, the stupid part of me eventually gave it back to him. Um, but I can, I can remember going through his, his phone when I did have it and he had taken pictures of like every debit card and credit card in my wallet. Uh. And I was like, what the hell, you know? And luckily I checked all of them and he, he never actually, you know, used any of them. And, and I had asked him about it, you know, and he was honest about it. He said, yeah, you know, I took pictures of them, um, for cash app or Venmo. He said, but I never used any of them and he didn't, you know, I made sure, but, um, you know, at, at that point I, you know, then I started putting a password on my phone when I would spend the night with them and, you know, I would put my cards somewhere, you know, hide them somewhere. Um, but you know, here in the last couple of months, it's kind of became a thing where he's more honest and where I've kind of just given him money knowing what I'm giving him money for. Um, and, and doing it to where he's not going out and doing something stupid for the money or, um, I guess keeping him from getting sick too. Um, so, and I, I feel it's a lot of ways to justify all that, isn't there? There is. And you know, when really it's like, no, you should not be doing this. Like you're enabling him, you're helping him with his habit. Um, and I know that, and I, I hate that, you know, I, and it's been draining for me, you know, me having to borrow money from friends because, you know, I'm helping him again, putting someone before myself, you know, to where I'm broke. Right. But, um, I know you and I've spoken about this. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, me living with my, with my dad and, you know, I mean, I don't work full time. Um, but you know, I really shouldn't be struggling. Like there's no reason for me to be struggling. And, uh, you know, I am because I'm, I'm, you know, he has his drugs, you know, and here I am, you know, not having what I need or, you know, and, um, you know, luckily my son always has everything he needs. Um, so, you know, but it's, it's one of those things where I, I let, you know, him make me feel guilty. You know, I'm, I'm a softy. He's a soft spot for me. You know, he's a weakness for me. But Um, you can admit that. Yeah. I mean, I've, if it's been like that since we were young, I mean, he's always been a weakness for me. I've, you know, I had boyfriends who hated him, (laughs) you know, because they knew, you know, that, that I had just loved him since I was a teenager. Um, and we almost had to reschedule today yeah, because you got a call last night that he's in jail now. Yeah. He's in jail now. I mean, I was actually with him. Did you ever, Oh, was, so you know why he's in jail? I was with him when he got arrested. Yeah. Okay. Cause we didn't talk about that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he, um, you know, he, he goes a lot and gets, uh, scrap you know, wires and, and strips them, you know, for copper sure. and, and sells them, uh, which I know a lot of people that do that, but you know, he does that, you know, illegally. And, um, 
so he had he had found a place last night um, while I was at work that you know he wanted to go and get all of this copper and actually pay me money back. You know that was going to be some of my money, right. and so he picked me up from work. Did he, and, did he tell you it was going to be legal this time? And no, I mean, in his mind, uh, it's there for the taking. You know, I mean, in his mind, like. Well, it's just sitting there, so, you know, it's free reign. I'm not doing anything wrong. Um, but, you know, he, so, uh, he picked me up from work, and he said, I'm I'm just going to go grab it really quick. It'll take me two minutes. Yeah. You know, and even though in the back of my mind, I was like, no, we should just, we should just go. You know, I need to get home. You know, it's a Sunday night. I have to get my child ready for school. You know, I'm like, okay, you know, because I'm thinking, well, at least he can pay me back some of the money he owes me. Um, but yeah, we uh, we pull around there to where it is, and there's a cop car sitting there. And I said, babe, there's a cop. You know, so he turns. <laughs> you know, he kind of tries to book it away, and all of a sudden, there's the cops. And they've got the flashlights out, and, you know, they they ask him, you know, they say we got a call that, you know, somebody was back behind the store, uh, cutting, cutting wire. And, you know, he fully admitted to him. He said, I, I didn't take any of it. He said, I, I was looking for scrap, but I didn't actually take any of it. Um, so, you know, they, they ran his license and everything. And he had a warrant out for, um, in Robertson County for a court date that he had missed. So they took him and, um, you know, I said bye to him, like getting in the back when, he was in the back of the cop car and they were taking him, you know, he kept apologizing to me. You know, he, he told the police, he said, she's been at work this whole time. She had nothing to do with it. You know, I don't want her to get in any trouble. And he just kept, you know, telling me he was sorry. And, uh, yeah, so that's how, that's how my night went last night. And that's what, you know, I almost, I almost told you like, I can't do it today again, yeah. but in the same sense, I was like, I need to do this. Well, that was your follow up. Text yeah, is, was like, I need to do this. I need to do this. You yeah. know, I, I need to talk about it, you know, and get it out there. Like maybe there's somebody else going through what I'm going through. I'm sure there is. But I was like, I, I don't need to put this off anymore. Right. You know, because this, you know, it's like I need to talk about it. Well, and we are going to, depending on how the process goes for him for court and everything. We're going to have Michael on here yeah. here pretty soon. And he's going to, his story is crazy. His and story is crazy. He's a, uh, he's had a lot of trauma. Yeah. So, and that's, that's one of the biggest messages I really want to get out there. Active users are not bad people. No, there's a lot of trauma that the people who can drive by and judge him while they're panhandling, they can sit there and point fingers yeah. saying it's a choice. Sometimes, sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. I completely know? agree. And I wish I could get a lot of people who have never been through something like this or know anybody who's ever been through something like this to quit pointing those fingers. Mm -hmm. It's always easy to point a finger when you've never had a traumatic experience. Yeah. Um, you know, I have someone coming on here hopefully soon that her traumatic experience was, I mean, it took me by, I was like, I, my mouth dropped and everything. I was like, oh my God, I thought I was here to talk about addiction. And she, it started off, her addiction started off because of a situation over here that just gave me chills. And it was, just, it was, it was very disturbing. So, um, and I had no idea, but the whole point is I had no idea, you know? Yeah. I mean, so I can't point a finger at her saying it's a choice because I didn't know about that. Yeah. And I've still, I mean, just in these last, you know, six months, like, there's stuff that I've learned about Michael that I did not even know, you know, and, um, there might still be some of it that I, that I still don't know, but I mean, I never knew him as an addict growing up. I mean, these last six months I've, I've never known this person, you know, I've always known the, the Michael that's not an addict. So this is all very new for me with him, um, and seeing this side of him and, uh, yeah, I think that he's actually really excited. He's, you know, he wanted to be part of the documentary and 
he um, has been just dying to to get on here and actually share his story because Michael, you know, one of his dreams is to get sober and help other addicts get sober. And um, so I think his story is going to be a really good one. And, you know, I'm not a, a licensed psychologist. Right. You know, um, and I, I didn't want to be a licensed psychologist mm-hmm. because I, I didn't want to do things like this. <laughs> yeah. Know? And here I am anyway. But um, you don't have to be, you don't have to have a PhD. You don't have to have a degree. Sometimes you just need to have an ear so people can talk and you can listen. Yeah. And sometimes it's just about not judging and not, you know, pushing them away like, oh, you're a, like your situation. Mm-hmm. You're an active user, so you can't be around me. <coughs> you know, sometimes, no, you're fine. It's sometimes just about extending that hand mm-hmm. saying, you know what? I don't know what you're going through, but I'm here if you need somebody. Yeah. And, but you, you have to have a cutoff at some point, not to where you kick them out or push them away, but to where you say, okay, don't ask me for money. Don't ask me to use my car. Mm-hmm. You know, these are boundaries that we have to set, but I will be there for you every step of the process to getting sober. Right. I'll be there every step of the way. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where you're at now. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've told him, you know, in the last couple of weeks, um, you know, I've said, I'm not, I'm not going to force you to go to rehab, you know, because I'm not going to force you if you don't want to do it. But, you know, if if you continue this, then then I'm out. You know, I, I can't I, I can't keep going through it. And, um, you know, and I've told him, you know, if if you want to if you want to go to treatment, then I will be by your side the whole way. You know, I will do whatever I can to help. But, you know being is that I've, I've been going through this for so long, you know, and I've told him like, I, I watched it kill my mom. Like I refuse to watch it kill another person that I love. Absolutely. And, um, you know, so it had been something in in the last week or so, um, that he had started the process of getting back in, you know, you, in order to get in, you know, on a grant, you have to do certain things, you know, go through the hospital and, you know, he did his pre-screen, um, with the place and it was kind of just one of those like waiting, you know, waiting for a bed to open, waiting to get him back in there. And isn't that sad? Yeah. You're waiting for a bed to open. I mean, that's, that's how much yeah, the addiction has taken over our society. Yeah. I mean, cause people every day you have people leaving early when they're not supposed to, or you have people who were, you know, finished with their detox and they're either going back out into the world or they're getting into a program. Hopefully most of them are getting into a program, but, um, you know, he's agreed this time to just not do, not do just detox, but to do at least a 28 day program. Um, you know, and him, him being in jail right now, um, depending on what happens, I mean, it might be a good thing for him. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he's sometimes jail's a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, and that's <laughs> I've I've it's never such a roller coaster, isn't it? Yeah. Um and and that's what, you know, I know that sometimes they say like it's easier to get high in, in jail than it than it is, you right. know, out here. Um so I don't I don't really know. I don't have any updates yet. Um well, I know you and I will probably be talking a lot of way. Oh yeah, the way through it. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, and hopefully, you know, when he does, when you know he does get out, we can get him on here and he can tell his story, and um, maybe it'll help somebody. Maybe it'll. I think it'll help him. You know, I think it'll be really therapeutic for him as well. well that's what this is all about. It's, it's good for you. It's good for me. It's good for them. It's good yeah. for other people. Absolutely. I mean, that's you know we want to build a bridge here. So, but, um, well, I tell you what, I'm looking forward to speaking with him mm-hmm. and I truly appreciate you coming on here. Absolutely. Telling your story. You're one of my favorite people over the last couple of years. We've grown close and I, I, I love that. 
Yeah, I know. So, I do too. Uh, it's it's nice having friends, especially ones that understand. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you always are kind. You kind of have become a therapist to me, <laughs> meaning to or not. Like well, you don't tell the state. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, um, but you're one of those people who I, I know that I can always call and uh, talk to, and that you you understand. And um, I like you know, you give good advice and. You know, and I love your wife. So, I mean, that that's the bonus. She's okay. She's okay. I'm definitely the better half here. <laughs> I'll agree with that. Fair enough. Well, I appreciate everything. And I'm sure I'll have you back on here when Michael comes. So, yeah, because um, I'm pretty sure you're coming with him. So, I pray. Yeah. He, he has to have a way to get here. So, I guess, <laughs> I guess I'll have to. Well, I'll come to you guys for sure, too. So, okay. okay. But, Thank you very much, and I'm sure we'll be talking a lot over the next couple of days. Thank you. All right.